Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union Podcast. We look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This episode, we'll be talking Burhalter, the Gold Cup, Messi, Bale, our new set, and so much more. But first, joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire, Mr. David Mossy. David, how are you doing on this June 21st in the year 2023? Doing well, excited about our new home. We are moving up in the world, my friend. We are, and I hearken back to the days uh, that don't seem so long ago, but they were a long time ago when we were doing the pod from basically a closet in a whole other side of Los Angeles. And each year, a little bit better, moving up and up and up. And as the saying goes, you've come a long way, baby. This is incredible. Uh, And you're only seeing a a small portion of it here if you are watching. If you're listening, um, it is, we've blown out what used to be the fifth floor studios, digital studios that we had. And now we have Studio D up here uh, that houses not only all of our our digital content, but all of the incredible men and women. We have multiple sets and the ability to do simultaneous uh, recordings and uh, content. We also have these incredible stages and all the bells and whistles when it comes to what's what's happening. There was some question as to what... (laughs) We're going to wear because of the, I mean, we've always been, we've had a, a visual component of it, but now it's ratcheted up to a whole nother level. But uh, what uh, the ensemble that we have today, how did you come upon this and decide on this? I don't know where people got this idea that I don't wear pants for a podcast because like 10 different people came up to me in the last few days and said, make sure you wear pants for the first day in the new set because you're going to be standing there. And I said, yeah, jeans, like I always do. But it's, people seem to think that that's not the case. Well, you've, you've cleaned up. Uh, I, I, there's part of me that while, you know, recognizing all of this incredible technology and the higher level that we have, there's part of me that still kind of wants to go with, you know, what, what got us here and not change too much. And it, it's, there's always this, this subtle, um, it's, not a, it's not a battle, but it's a back and forth between the linear side and the digital side. And I, I straddle both. I, I like to think that I do it well and, and there are incredible women on both sides. And, and to be quite honest, the synergy and the cooperation is pretty incredible, which is why I think both sides benefit from the other. But there's, there's also the recognition that you know, the lighting's better and the sets are better and the technology that we have is better. And so there's the tendency to say, all right, well, aesthetically, maybe we want to change. You went just with the jeans and a polo here. Was there any part of your brain that said, you know, maybe, I'm not going to say a suit or anything, maybe a blazer or something like that? No, that's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> this is as far as I'll go for this podcast. Really? More than likely, I'm going to go back to the hat. and. What, what if the people want to see you? Because, you know, listen, I know our, our wardrobe uh, folks are incredible, but they also, they take on projects. Uh, it's almost like with a Pygmalion or something like that. If if they decided to maybe at least test some things out, would you be up for that? No, I wear suits to weddings and bar mitzvahs. That's it. And that's no it. other occasion. So this is as good as it's going to get uh, from a, an attire perspective with you. Uh, have you watched anything or, uh, or, or seen anything or read anything? I have. Um, I watched this uh, Max show. That's what we're calling it now, Max. Right. It's now blue and it's just Max. It's called Spy Master. Ooh. It's a Cold War spy thriller set in Romania in the late 70s, the age of Ceausescu, 
It's this Romanian security guy who's being recruited by both the KGB and the CIA, and he's trying to defect. Uh, it's only six episodes. Uh, I thought it was very good. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure if there are any more seasons forthcoming. It ended in such a way where that could have been it, but the show was successful, so maybe they'll want to do further seasons. I, I started watching something on Max because in the turnover, they, they added a bunch of content and a bunch of channels, and especially when it comes to you know, my true crime. I, I can't get enough of it. And so there's, I can't remember the name of it. I should have written it down, but it's the eerie murders and it's focused on, I shouldn't be laughing, but the, the reality is you didn't realize how big Lake Erie was. And it's focused on uh, crimes that have happened around Lake Erie. It's got something like seven different seasons. So it's got episode after episode that's going to keep me occupied for a long time if that's what I wanted to do. But I haven't really dug my teeth into anything rich or new or memorable. And, and from a documentary perspective, nothing's really come online. Because Australia and New Zealand is right around the corner, I'm trying to avoid getting hooked on anything that I'm not going to be able to finish before that trip. Yeah. I mean, I'm knee deep in Gold Cup, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, uh, and obviously Women's World Cup. And by the way, I, I hope that you uh, were able to pick up the feed because we put it out there for you. And the interview that we had with uh, Jen Cooper uh, talking about uh, the uh, the 23 woman roster that dropped for the U.S. women's national team because she is a wealth of knowledge and was just absolutely, uh, absolutely wonderful. Um, it, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of been in the news, but talking about documentaries, you know that there are going to be documentaries about this submersible that's going on right now and everybody's talking about it and it's, you know, it's a horrible, horrible story, but you can't help but be drawn in by it right now. And, you know, as we are talking about it right now, you know, it, it, it does not look good. And it's just, you know, it's horrible for the, uh, the the individuals, but you cannot escape it. And people everywhere, I, I want to know what the latest thing is, and they're going to going to the news. So by the time you're listening to this, there might be some more news, but it, it looks pretty grim. I don't know if you recall, but several weeks ago on this podcast, I told you I went to a Titanic exhibit. Yes. It was the anniversary, April 15th of the ship sinking. And so I've been on kind of a Titanic kick recently anyway. So it's kind of surreal that this story is. Happening. It's, it's, uh, it's crazy. And so who knows ultimately how it ends, but it does, it does not look good. Uh, what does look good though, is uh, the show that we have. We got all sorts of stuff to talk about. You ready to light this candle? Let's do it. All right. Let's start it off with, listen, uh, for those that, uh, that follow and watch and listen to our show, you will, you will know that over the last week, we've kind of been all over the place and kind of piecemealed together uh, the reactions to Greg Berhalter. And part of that is just the reality that we are being pulled in a bunch of different directions. We've been uh, hard at work when it comes to UEFA qualifying for, uh, for Euros and Nations League and all that kind of stuff. So I kind of want to put a button on the Berhalter situation. And as we are recording here today, uh, we know that Greg Berhalter has been named the head coach again, and we've talked about this uh, over the last week in different ways, but we also know that Greg Berhalter is not going to be involved as the head coach of the team from a sideline perspective coming up with, uh, with the Gold Cup. I, I guess my question to you, and then I'll, and then I'll uh, respond, is, is there anything else that has come to mind or, or any other um, takes or emotions that you have had relative to this Greg Berhalter situation, because well, on social media, it's certainly not going away. And it is going to continue to be a story associated with this team going forward, 
whether the United States Soccer Federation likes it or not. I know you've been duking it out with people on Twitter. Uh, there seems to be this uh, debate. Some people think they wanted to give the job to Burhalter all along and they just kind of waited for the rain of stuff to blow over a little bit, while others are buying the U.S. soccer party line that no, this was, they went into it with an open mind and there was this whole lengthy process and it just organically spit out Greg Burhalter again as the most qualified guy for the job. Uh, so what do you make of that? As I said time and time again, by all accounts, yes, the United States Soccer Federation was all ready to continue on with Greg Burhalter. And while there would have been the usual whinging and screaming and yelling from a certain segment, the reality is I think everybody would have said, yeah, he did enough. I would have liked to have done better against the Netherlands. I would have liked that he did this or this or this. But then obviously all the Reina uh, stuff came out and you know, they had to go through this process. And I will reiterate that I am not of the belief that someone should be a coach for multiple cycles. I do think that it gets stale. But if they were already going to do it, then I was okay that that's something that they uh, that they wanted to do. And I didn't want it taken away. And I've said this, this time and time again. But to then actually do what so many were screaming and yelling about on the first process of Greg Berhalter, and rightly and fairly so, to then go and in this moment actually take time with, uh, with Ernie Stewart leaving, with Brian McBride leaving, to take the time, and it ends up being about six months, to hire a new CEO, uh, obviously to hire a new sporting director in Mack Rock to make these changes, to go through the investigation, to get the outside firm to go through the investigation, to get the outside firm to then also be involved in the hiring process, to do all of that that was laid out in the, uh, in the introductory press conference, and then to say, uh, no, it's a sham. No, it's a sham. I, I, I don't understand where this tinfoil conspiracy uh, theory comes from. It, it, it boggles my mind and it gets in the way of what I think should be the focus, which is this incredible team that obviously likes Greg Berhalter, that obviously wanted Greg Berhalter. And if you don't think that that wasn't taken into account, then you are a moron, okay? And if you don't think that it should be taken into account, then I think that you are a, a moron. And my problem, Mossy, is that there are a lot of morons out there and it's not going to stop. It's just going to continue, unfortunately. The only thing I'll say, and this is separate of a conversation of whether Greg Berhalter is the right coach or not. This is just a curiosity factor on my part. There's been this larger debate in the air as to how attractive a job is this. And so part of me wanted this very public exhaustive search where they offered the likes of Jose Mourinho the job uh, because I'm just curious to see what he would say. Would Jose Mourinho laugh at the U.S. Soccer Federation or no? Would he be seriously intrigued? Uh, there seems to be that debate also about what caliber of coach could they have gotten if money was no object. And we're still sort of left with that lingering question. As we sit here today, I'm not quite sure how the rest of the world, how attractive a job they perceive it to be. If they went after these big name world class coaches, would they be intrigued by the opportunity or would they feel like, no, not really going to coach the U.S. national team is not all that enticing right now? I mean, I do think that coaching the U.S. national team is enticing. I do think that you have the opportunity to kind of look very good if you get them to improve. And going into 2026, yes, I do think it's enticing. Is Just because you have 
in what the uh, United States Soccer Federation said, just because you have an unlimited budget, um, that's, not, that's not the words they used, but they did make it very, very clear that money was not the object in that if they found somebody that was going to be expensive and very expensive, but they believed that that was the right person for the job, that they would then find the money to pay that person. And they have the money to be able to, uh, to, be able to do that. If that's, and that's really what it comes down to. People are going to be angry because it's not their guy. It's not the person that they wanted and they don't like Greg Berhalter. So it doesn't matter how thorough the process it was. It doesn't matter that they used uh, resources that historically have not been used. It doesn't matter that they were transparent. And by the way, when, when I say transparent, that does not mean that you are entitled to know every single person that they talk to, that you are entitled to know who either turned the job down or who was not ultimately one of the final candidates. That does not happen. If those men and women want to speak about it, that's up to them. But that is not how the world works. That is not something that you should be, uh, that you should necessarily be privy, uh, be privy to. And everybody seems to think that they should know absolutely everything that's going on. And yet, when the United States Soccer Federation comes out and actually lays it all out, more so than we have ever seen in the past, because they know what they are going to get yelled at, it's still not good enough. It's, it's, there is a part of me, Mossy, that wants the United States Soccer Federation president, Cindy, Cindy Parlacone. I would have, it would have made me, a part of me, so happy had she just walked out after Greg Berhalter had finished in the World Cup and just said, you know what? I just had a couple drinks in the bar. This is who is coaching. And then said, kiss my ass for the way that it would have then blown people's minds. Because again, it goes back to this entitlement that we feel that we should know absolutely everything, that we should be privy to absolutely every conversation that, that, uh, that has taken place. That's not how the world works. And I think they have gone above and beyond what everybody should know. And it's understandable because they took their licks uh, in, the first, uh, in, in the first round. And yet, when all of this is done, what happens, Mossy? They come right back to Greg Berhalter. And for some people, uh, they can't understand how this could possibly happen. Well, it happens, maybe, because he's freaking good and because he is the best option going forward. And after all the calculations, all of the outside influence to try to get an unbiased opinion, when all of that information and data is accumulated and it comes back to Greg Berhalter, if you don't like Greg Berhalter, then you're going to blame the process as opposed to giving the guy credit because it would have been so easy and simple to not go with Greg Berhalter. That is the easy route. And nobody would have said anything. Oh, he's got baggage and all this history and all these things that happened. It sucks for him. And that's just the way that it is. But no, they took the, they did not take the path of least resistance. They took the most difficult path, even knowing that they were going to get slammed. That tells you what a quality candidate Greg Berhalter was. Now, we were talking off the air and the great Kaz who works on this podcast, he raised this issue about the timing of the announcement. Uh, do you find it strange that they would announce Berhalter now? but have B.J. Callahan coach the Gold Cup? Should they either have had Berhalter coach the Gold Cup or not announce Berhalter until afterwards? The, the way this whole thing was handled, what do you make of it? Yeah, I mean, it is strange that, <laughs> that Greg Berhalter 
uh, is not coaching the Gold Cup. And, you know, it's right there in the palm of his hand. But I do think that there is a method to whatever perceived madness that people have when it comes to what Matt Crocker has wanted to do. And I think it would have applied to whomever. And they, they, they said as much in the way that they, have, that they have talked about it, in that they want to take more of a breather. Fine, whatever. We all know that, that Greg Berhalter is the coach, but it is going to be a little weird to have him in the stands when the team is playing uh, the Gold Cup or just constantly being there, given the fact that this isn't a new coach coming in that's just kind of get getting the lay of the land. As a matter of fact, if we are to believe what we are being told, it's just a continuation of the process. Now, Greg Berhalter, I do think, has a responsibility and has some work to do internally and externally. I think that, and I said this before, he has to put himself in a position where he looks like he has learned and evolved and is different, not completely different, but different than the Greg Berhalter that we saw before. And it could be dramatic, maybe in the way, the formation that he plays or the style that he plays. I don't necessarily think that's going to happen. Or it might be little things along the way. I don't know, less shoe game or, or less bounce passes or, or, or something like that. But I do think that if he has any hope of winning over uh, folks, not the people that hate him, because they just there's nothing that he can do unless, and even if he does well, wins the World Cup, they're still not going to like him. That's just a put about. But the, the undecideds, if you will, the ones that can be wooed, I think he's going to have to show them that it's not the same Greg Berhalter that we saw in that previous cycle. If the U.S. was to do poorly at the Copa America next summer, is there a world in which Greg Berhalter gets fired after the tournament? How long a leash do you think he has in this second go around? Oh no, I think if he if if, if he if he's bad in the in the uh, uh, Copa America next summer, I think he's out. I think no, I think and again with nothing to show for 2023. The next time, let's be honest, we're really going to judge him in a competitive environment is going to be Copa America. And so he is, to a certain extent, putting all of his eggs in that basket. And just because his contract is through 2026, and it should be through 2026, what coach wouldn't want it through 2026? And he certainly deserves a contract through 2026. But that doesn't mean that he will be there in 2026. And so if he, you know what, the bed with this national team next summer in, the, in Copa America, it would not surprise me in the least to say, all right, well, it's not working. I got asked this question on Twitter. I can't believe we're having this conversation after two games, but if the U.S. was to play well and win the Gold Cup, does B.J. Callahan become like a hot MLS coaching candidate? Yeah, in that people have, first off, they know his name. <laughs> I mean, that in and of itself is great. But if he does that, while he will have had an incredible month, let's say, he will have done the exact same thing that, Greg Berhalter did a few years ago. So it's not as if he's breaking new ground. And, and, and again, while, while he is a different figure, he is part of that Berhalter ecosystem that they cultivated over this last cycle. After the lineups he put out in those two Nations League games, I'm ready to add BJ Callahan to the list of the great romantics in history with like Bielsa and Zdenek Zeman and, and guys like that because he was but that's, quite frisky on this that's the, what, what do you mean? <laughs> I mean, if Greg Berhalter had been coaching against this Mexico team at this time with this group of players in this situation and circumstance, what do you think he would have done different? Uh, the Mexico game, not so much because as we talked about- Would he have started Balogun? I think so. Okay. Right? He didn't have Balogun in the World Cup. Would he have started Giorena? Well, that's the one people are... Would he have started Giorena? 
are you a hundred percent sure of that? I, I absolutely think he would. Have so started. he would have played without a six. Musa McKenney sitting and Reina as the he ten. Would have, he would have looked at this at this Mexico team, okay, and I think that he would have started Gio Reina, okay, a, a healthy Gio Reina, a Gio Reina has that has already gone through that uh, through that stuff. By the way, okay, Gio Reina was hurt through much of qualifying. All right, I'm not saying he's a great player. He was hurt through much of qualifying, and then he gets to the World Cup. And we know what happened behind the well, we 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 think we know what happened behind the scenes, but obviously his attitude wasn't great. And everybody's screaming and yelling that BJ should be the coach right now. I think Greg Berhalter would have done the exact same thing. And if and if we are to believe that this is just a continuation, then absolutely he would have done the, the, the same thing. It's a different moment, it's a different circumstance. He had honestly, serenity now. Uh, uh, put, a, put a bow on it, though, when it comes to Burhalter here. You think he'll be around in 2026? I do. I, I, I said this on one of the spaces, one of those Kiara and Kaz produced spaces, uh, reiterated here. Uh, I do find it absolutely fascinating. Whoever the next coach was going to be was going to have a tough decision to make because when Tyler Adams returns, one of Wesson McKinney, Gio Reyna, or Timmy Way has to drop out of the starting lineup. Right. BJ's never had to make that decision. The fact that it's going to be Greg Berhalter making that decision with Gio as one of the people involved. And, you know, th there is a scenario where they could face Argentina next summer. Sure. And Greg might think the correct tactical move is to start those three in the midfield, Adams, McKinney, Musa, and then Wea, because maybe that's an opponent where you need pace and you want to try to stretch them. And so now you're leaving Reyna out of the starting lineup of a big game, which given the whole context surrounding those two is going to get a little dicey for him people are not going to be happy with Greg Berhalter unless he starts 12 players. I mean, that, that's, that's the only way that he could possibly, <laughs> that he could possibly win. I, listen, do I think that Greg Berhalter is the best coach that I've ever seen in my life? No. Do I think that he got a rotten deal in terms of what happened after the World Cup? Absolutely, and I've told you time and time again, that's really where I, where I come at it in that if they were already going to give him the job, I don't want it taken away because of the crap uh, ultimately that happened. But, you know, he's going to continue to take plenty of, uh, you know, slings and arrows out there. It comes with the gig. He has gotten the gig. And uh, to hear people talk now um, about the process is just the height of hypocrisy. And there are those out there that suggest that, uh, I almost feel like they would have been, again, happier had the old process that got so much criticism had taken place. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If, if it's not your guy, you're not going to, you're not going to believe. As we've established, they're morons. We have established that they are, they are morons. I, I love them. But, uh, but they're morons. And we can disagree. We can do it uh, respectfully. We can do it passionately. We can do it uh, civilly. But we can disagree. And I vehemently disagree with the anti-Burhalter sentiment. Not because you can't have criticism for a coach. And not because Greg Burhalter is above criticism. You, there are plenty of things that you can criticize Greg Burhalter about. But just this this avalanche that seems to have come out of, uh, of all this, I don't think it's right. I don't think it's fair. And most importantly, I think it obscures, as I said before, the incredible positives that this team is bringing about. Keep in mind that, again, this was a very young team. 
you know, almost the youngest team at the World Cup. And so this was about multiple cycles as to seeing them come to fruition. And there is so much, as I said, so much good to be celebrated and to be excited about going forward. And this just continues to put this, this dark cloud in so many ways over it. We keep referencing the Copa America. We also have this friendly against Germany in October. Yep. I can't wait to see this collection of U.S. players play against some of the world heavyweights to see what that looks like. I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I guarantee it's Greg Berhalter's fault. So. <laughs> Anything else, my friend? That's it. All right. And when we come back, uh, as Mossy mentioned, we have all sorts of stuff. The summer of soccer has kicked off. Gold Cup is upon us. And we got a lot to talk about when it comes to the uh, upcoming games for the U.S. and others. Okay, welcome back. Uh, let's talk Gold Cup, Mossy, because it is upon us right now. As we said, this summer of soccer, we got, uh, we're got we going basically one tournament overlapping another one, first Gold Cup and then in the Women's World Cup. Uh, we just got done talking about uh, Greg Berhalter, who will not be at least on the sideline when it comes to this team. But this is a very different U.S. men's national team. I guess, first off, expectations for this team and this roster as we take a look at, uh, at these players who are hoping to make an impression to you know kind of get themselves out of, let's be honest, what a lot of people refer and call and see as the B team rel relative to the uh, A team. Yeah, we dealt with this in the summer of 2021 when the U.S. sent a more European-based squad to the Nations League Final Four and then sent a more MLS-based squad to the Gold Cup. Uh, there are 16 MLS players in this 23-man uh, roster. Uh, there are six players, by the way, who once they make an appearance in the Gold Cup will be cap tie. They are Gaga Slonina, Alan Sonora, Aiden Morris, Kate Cowell, uh, Brandon Vasquez, and Julian Gress. Incidentally, I don't think any of those, there's any threat of them going anywhere else. But it's nice to have yeah, them signed, sealed, and delivered. Make sure. But yeah, to your point, uh, we're now viewing, again, this Gold Cup the same way we viewed the last one through the lens. Who can impress enough in this tournament to work their way into the mix when you bring all the European back and, and you have the full roster. I'm going to do uh, later on in uh, Ask Alexi uh, three players uh, to kind of uh, focus on. But in general here, do you think, given everything that has happened, do you think that there will be players that set themselves apart and that going forward, you know, you mentioned the U.S. playing Germany. I would think you're going to want to have as many players in as possible for that game. Do you think that there are going to be any players that, uh, that move on? I keep harping on this. I think the U.S. needs a backup six to Tyler Adams. Now, sure, when they're playing CONCACAF opposition, they don't. We saw right. that in the last week. But... When they go play at Germany or next summer, Brazil, Argentina, if Tyler Adams, God forbid, is not available, I don't think you can get away against those teams of playing midfield without a true six. So I look at somebody like a James Sands, if he has a good tournament here, he could position himself as that go-to backup to Tyler Adams. Yeah, I think so. I mean, one of the holdovers uh, that's continuing on here is, is Matt Turner. We talked a little bit about you know, work permits and all that kind of stuff. That th those rules evidently are changing uh, for the better when it comes to U.S. Uh, U.S. players. But it'll be interesting between Sean Johnson, you mentioned Gagasolina, and uh, Matt Turner, who is kind of given the reins because you don't normally platoon goalkeepers in a in a tournament type of setting. But you know, obviously, what Sean Johnson is, and you know what uh, what Matt Turner is. But 
if you're continuing on from the uh, the Nations League, you think it's because you are you know, a starter and you are ultimately going to uh, ultimately going to play. Uh, U.S. faces Jamaica on FS1 at let's see 9:30 Eastern time from uh, Chicago. Just say goodbye to. Uh, Jenny Taft, who will be on site over there in Chicago uh, reporting, and she will be embedded with this team. And you know, hopefully she's going to get us some interesting information about you know, the, the dynamics and what this group of players thinks about Greg Berhalter, because we just talked about the previous group of players and how influential they were, whether it's a Christian Pulisic or a Timmy, uh, that didn't need to talk about Greg Berhalter. And one of the, uh, the criticisms uh, of Greg Berhalter is the amount of MLS players and the opportunity that he gave to MLS players. Whether that's a criticism or not, there are people that uh, that say that. So I I would think that most of these uh, most of these players would be bullish and be positive, not just because they have to, but because uh, they they want to and they recognize that Greg Berhalter, you know, sees them to a certain extent as equals, or at least is willing to give them equal opportunity, even though they don't play in Europe. And the U.S. trying to win their fourth straight CONCACAF title. They won the Nations League and the Gold Cup in 21. They just won the Nations League again in 23. Now they're going for the Gold Cup. The quad. The quad. Uh, uh, Mexico has won eight Gold Cup titles. The U.S. has won seven. The only other country to win it, Canada in 2000. The U.S. could equal Mexico if they win this one. Speaking of Mexico, they've made some news the last few days. We joked about this on The Spaces, the possibility of Diego Coca getting sacked. He did get sacked, in fact. So Mexico will also have an interim manager at this Gold Cup. How many games did he last? Seven. (laughs) Seven games. Hey, but the roster that Mexico, they're just kind of spinning it over to the Gold Cup. And so it will be interesting to see a very different and almost completely different U.S. team as opposed to much of the the, uh, usual suspects that obviously got their ass kicked by U.S. and still they'll be out for blood. Again, I don't want to belabor this point, but it just speaks to where the two countries are right now that U.S. could field a B team. Mexico feels much closer to their A team. And if you hold up the rosters side by side, I don't think it's that big a difference. Mexico's is probably slightly better on paper. They have guys like Santi Jimenez and Edson Alvarez, so there's a bit more pedigree there. But I don't think they're clear-cut favorites to win this. You remember uh, a couple summers ago when the same type of phenomenon happened where we called one A and one B. And it's a I understand why we do it. It's a little disrespectful, ultimately. But what it does do within the context of this Gold Cup tournament is give others, like you said, it's almost as if we're slowing down a little bit to give others a chance to catch up. And so when you're talking about, you know, whether it's Mexico or whether it's Canada uh, or even, you know, whether it's Jamaica, our first game uh, in this uh, in this World Cup, I think that there will be a recognition from other teams that this is not obviously the best of uh, the U.S. team. And so maybe they're vulnerable. Maybe there's an opportunity here for at the end of the summer uh, and at the end of this tournament to be raising a trophy that otherwise wouldn't be there if the U.S. had all their guns blazing. You know, I don't know. You, you, you buy that or no? I do, yes. Uh, we've talked about how a real gap has opened up between the U.S. and everybody else in CONCACAF. But this roster the U.S. brought to this tournament, I think, does leave the possibility of somebody else winning it. I'm frankly intrigued by that opening game because... Jamaica's squad has some nice pedigree, several Premier League players, Mikel Antonio, Leon Bailey, Ethan Pinnock, uh, Damari Gray. Uh, you've obviously got Andre Blake in goal. So that will be, I think it's definitely the toughest of the three group games for the U.S. right off the bat. And Jamaica's a team I have my eye on, so I'm fascinated to see how they look against the U.S. How do you think, the, 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 what's the mentality in terms of the perception and the credibility of the players and the fans of not just other teams, but certainly the, the U.S. team coming off of the back 
of Nations League Championship. And when we saw the, you know, the money shot and the confetti and the champagne and all that, that was, that was spread around. But that's such a, a new type of tournament. And we talked in a, in a previous episode about how it's, it's just strange that they come back to back as opposed to, uh, you know, in, in UEFA where they're, they're, they're spread out. Do you think that do you think that the Nations League has dampened what the Gold Cup is? And you know, a little bit. I hate yeah. to say, uh, especially the way the U.S. has approached it in terms of how they've divvied up the rosters. But nevertheless, it is this region's. Uh... It is, and and I will say this: the judgment that we have ultimately for Greg Berhalter or anybody, let's be honest, it's relative to a tournament setting. Okay, so the one-off types of things, and I know Nations League is, is it's, it's, not, it's a kind of a hybrid type of thing, ultimately. But to have a specific period of time where you have to have your team physically and mentally be able to perform and to adapt, that ultimately is what the national team job is. And, you know, we mentioned Cup America next summer, and obviously the World Cup. That's ultimately where you are judged. And so... I know Greg Berhalter is not going to be on the sideline, but for this U.S. team, going through an actual tournament and the paces and the flows and the rhythms, I, I think that this, I think that's what separates nation, uh, Nations League, and that's what makes the Gold Cup unique. And not just because it's it's on our air. I mean, it's we're gonna we're gonna televise it regardless. But it is a much more traditional type of setting, and therefore, I think that you can get plenty out of it. And I think these players are going to get plenty out of it. We keep referencing the Gold Cup final two years ago in Las Vegas. Do you remember what happened in the post-game show? No, I want you to remind me and, uh, and the viewers. Uh, you and were so it. overcome by emotion after the U.S. beat Mexico that you started crying on television. Uh, yes. Uh, Sean, you can probably drop that in right here so the folks can hear and see what happened. I will tell you uh, now that you have uh, seen and heard this, that it was a function of the moment. And, you know, as we get further and further away from the pandemic, uh, just in, in general, I think that we, we sometimes, it, it, it's hard to, to, to fathom, but we are starting to forget <laughs> just how fucking horrible it was and how difficult and challenging it was for everybody. And in that moment of all the stuff that was going on and being, you know, sequestered away and away from social interaction, to have that moment to be able to, you know, I would, I would get emotional no matter what because it's, it's my team, it's my country, everything like that. But it was heightened uh, because of what we had kind of not fully yet come out of, but there was light at the end of the tunnel. And in that moment, you know, I said you know, whatever was coming to my mind as it was exploding with pride and excitement and, and romance and love and all the different things was, you know, this was America. And this was what I loved about America. And again, through those lens of red, white, and blue uh, colored glasses, this is ultimately um, what happened. And so that's, that's a little explanation of what that was. So yeah, it was emotional and I don't apologize for it. I wear it on my, on my sleeve. And I was in that moment affected in, a, uh, in, in an emotional way that was through soccer. Could have been something else, but in that moment it was through soccer and I felt incredible pride and, uh, um, and just 
uh, a sense of, maybe even a sense of relief uh, that was expressed in that moment. So it was so cool. come July 16, yes. SoFi, if the U.S. beats Mexico again, you don't anticipate any tears this time around. Now it's different time and place. It's different time and place. I will be as I will be proud because uh, I love this team and I love when they do well. And listen, not for nothing, but if it's against Mexico, I mean, can you imagine <laughs> the L Tree fan base if? If they can't find a way to beat this U.S. team in this moment, what's going on, then all is lost. Fuera. No mas. Incidentally, you know what the great legacy of the pandemic is to this podcast? What's that? The What Are We Watching uh, segment. That's right. Remember, th this predates Sean Sullivan. This was in the Luis Aguilar days. We kept doing our podcast, even though all the leagues had shut down. We had to get creative. We did like our all-time best 11s and quirky segments like that. But also, we talked a lot about what we were doing with ourselves, what TV shows we were binging, and then it just stuck. Even when we the soccer came back, we decided that that was a fun component of the podcast we wanted to preserve. Well, listen, we like to push the envelope. We like to uh, evolve as we go on. As a matter of fact, if you are watching this show, then you will notice that we are standing throughout this show. Don't worry, we'll be back at our traditional desk, and we will use a lot of the different sets as we as we go forward. But you know, it's a little di different dynamic. You might even notice that. You know, the way that I talk and obviously the way I just gesticulate uh, changes. And so depending on where you are, it will change ultimately what you're doing. But, you know, we, we, have, uh, we have evolved and we continue on. Uh, one thing that remains and one thing that we are going to continue to do is uh, ask Alexi. So how about we take a break and we come back and we, uh, we take some calls and some questions. How about that? Let's do it. All right. Don't go anywhere. Okay, welcome back. It's time for Ask Alexi, that point of the show where you send in your questions, comments, and concerns on all the social media platforms out there. And if you do, keep in mind that our uh, handle is SOTU with Alexi, or you can call into our State of the Union podcast hotline, which again, I've got to put my glasses on, 657-549-2297. I should probably have memorized it by now. 657-549-2297. Mossy, what do we have this episode? First up, we have a voicemail. Let's take Ooh. a listen right now. Hey, Lexi. Hey, Mossy. This is uh, Andrew from Texas. Um, so I'm sure you're being inundated with questions about Messi. My question about him is, how do you coach him? As you know, everybody thinks about from a player perspective, how awesome it's going to be. From a coaching perspective, you get somebody like Messi on your team, and to me, that'd be like an oh shit moment. Like, what? I, I'm not sure what to do with him. It seems like he might require more of a manager than a coach. Um, it seems like it might be an intimidating job, but they are, looks like Inter Miami is getting a coach from Argentina, so maybe that will help. I was just curious what your take is on how do you coach somebody like Messi. Hope to hear from you. Thanks. All right. Uh, thank you, Andrew from Texas. Um, so, okay, I, I think that this is a, a really interesting question and a fair one because this is the greatest player, arguably, ever to play the game. This is a player who is coming to a team that is not good right now. Um, and this is a player who is coming to a league where he is not going to be on the biggest and best team. Uh, if rumors are to be believed, Tata Martino will be the head coach in Miami. That certainly was done with an eye to satisfying Messi and getting the best out of Messi. And with whether it's language or with it's a, whether it's a history, 
that's a, that's a good thing to do. And I think that that's a smart move, especially given Tata Martino's experience already with the league. And so some of the challenges that coaches have coming in where the realization of you know, the realities both on and off the field, that will not affect Tata Martino because he's already been there and he's already been successful with, uh, with Atlanta. He's got his hands full when it comes uh, to, my, to Miami. Uh, but I, as opposed to just throwing the ball out, remember in, in victory where Pele went up and grabbed the chalk? I don't know if you remember, but and he goes, I do this, 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 this goal. All right, in the movies, that's, that's all fine. But what I've found is you know, good players, they want direction. They want to be coached. They don't want to be told every single step of the way, this is what you need to do. But I think if it's Tata Martino, he has to put Messi in the best possible position to succeed. And he has to, to the extent that he can, surround players that understand what Messi can do and what he can't. And you know, our old friend Eric Ronaldo often talks about how you know, when you get into that final third, let the players, especially the creative, magical players, do what they need to do. And so there certainly would come a point, and Tata Martino has been doing this a long time, where I think the thought process is, is get him the ball in this moment. Because when we do that, then he will use his magic to do what he needs to do. But if you think you're just going to give him the ball back at the goalkeeper and he's going to dribble through the whole team, that's just not going to happen given the, given the circumstances. But it's also going to be about managing expectations and seeing as Messi goes through a lot of these challenges, whether it's getting on a plane, flying across the, uh, the country to Vancouver or the different surfaces that he has to play on, or being on a team where there are going to be moments where he's going to get his ass kicked in a way that we have not seen in the past. And how that plays on Messi's psyche and plays on Messi's ego, it's going to be a real psychological type of challenge for Tata Martino, if that's who it's ultimately going to be, or whoever comes into that. It's interesting what you say about great players wanting to be coached. There's this legendary former Brazilian player, Tostão, who was one of the stars of the 1970 World Cup winning team, and he writes a column now, and, and he wrote once that uh, Pele wanted a lot of tactical responsibilities, which flies in the face of people that think the great players just want freedom and be allowed to do whatever they want. No, Tostone said that Pele preferred to be given a lot of tactical stuff to do and that he would follow what, what the coach told him to do. I think, I, I, I mean, I'm obviously never at that level, but if I try to put myself in, in those shoes, I think there might be, and it could come from an insecurity or whatever it ends up being, where you want to be considered one of the one of the guys one of the girls and maybe in that moment being given tactics it it makes you feel like i'm i'm no better or worse than anybody else and that there is that responsibility as opposed to just just go do what you do and also especially for attacking players they might seem to think well i'm just all about doing things that nobody else can do but i can't understand or uh, incorporate myself into a tactical type of plan. And so maybe there's a little bit of that hubris and that ego that comes out and says, hey, give me that responsibility and I'll show you that not only can I do stuff that you can't do just because of the God-given talent that I have, but also up in my mind, I can still do the tactical type of stuff too. In terms of a position, we talk about this all the time. Well, that traditional number 10 seems to be getting drummed out at the highest levels 
it, he's still very much in vogue in MLS. So I think Messi slots in very comfortably as a number 10. But the challenge will be that even in places like PSG and Barcelona and sometimes with Argentina, it was hard finding players that were on his wavelength. And with Inter Miami, that's going to be especially so. So you're right. He's going to have to be patient. Players aren't going to always make that run that he sort of intuitively expects them to make. And, and, and if, if you've ever talked to somebody who has watched Messi that maybe has not watched him a lot or doesn't watch a lot of soccer, it's always interesting to me when they say, gosh, he walks a lot. And, and he does. There's an economy of motion with any great player. But also as he has gotten over, uh, older and still playing with some of the great players and great teams, there are moments where he is not doing anything on the other side of the ball. And that could be problematic for any team in MLS, certainly a team like Miami that's not going to have a lot of the ball. But these are, these are good problems to have. And I like that there is at least the rumor out there that, uh, and you know, where there's smoke, there's got to be fire, that Tata Martino, because I think that that's a smart and inspired type of choice. And not everybody can probably, uh, probably coach Messi. And Tata Martino is maybe uh, one of the few uh, out there. What else we got, Messi? Next up, a Twitter question, and we're heading back to the Gold Cup now. Uh, Phil Morin asks, if you had to pick three U.S. men's national team players for fans to watch during the Gold Cup, mm-hmm. in parentheses, mm-hmm. other than Turner Robinson, who would you suggest and why? Okay, um, I got a lot of time for Jordi Mihaljevic. Um, I think what we saw, certainly in his time in MLS, and now he's gone over uh, to the Netherlands, this is a guy that can break down opposition. And there is the fact that this U.S. team is going to be involved at times in games where the opposition is inferior, where they're absorbing pressure. And I think with his, uh, with his technical ability and his ability to either hit the killer pass or do it himself. I'm really interested to see if he can make some waves and kind of be the man if he is involved in a uh, midfield type of position. Uh, Cade Cowell, uh, teenager, three um, appearances so far, just some blazing speed, but he has yet to really harness it. And so whether it's uh, in the capacity coming off of the bench and providing that spark, or if he does get a start, can he start being much more efficient in the way that he is using that incredible speed that he has? I, I get excited. I, I, I get out of my seat a little bit when, I, when he gets that ball, especially out wide. But can we see it on a consistent basis going forward? And he's going to have opportunities. Again, playing against inferior competition at times, he's going to have opportunities where there is space for him to do what he does so well. And then, look, the continued experiment of uh, Brandon Vasquez up top as that physical number nine. Can he be ruthless? Can he obviously score goals? And this is coming on the heels of Flo Balogun doing what he did. Can he show up and in a very different way provide something that obviously was missing and has been missing in a much more traditional big guy up top? And how does that manifest? Is he Are they playing balls into him and he's holding it up and then playing, uh, playing each other? Or is he just dominating in the air uh, and from a physical perspective in, in the box. It's not going great right now from an MLS perspective. He's, he's certainly cooled down. Plenty of uh, interest when it comes to possible transfers going forward. I, I'm literally looking forward to see him. Anybody uh, stand out for you? I mentioned James Sands yep. earlier. Yep. The other name I'll add is Zendejas. There still is some debate out there about how good is he? How big a pickup was it? Is he just a nice depth piece or is he somebody that could be a major impact player for the U.S.? So I want to get a look at him at this tournament in a scenario where he 
should have a swagger of being one of the players of the highest pedigree on the squad. So we'll see if he can take over games and be a real difference maker in this context and whether that would then translate to the full team. Uh, let's take another quick break. And when we come back, it's the end of our show. So I give you my one for the road. Don't go anywhere. Okay, welcome back. It's the end of our show. And at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. Uh, our old friend Gareth Bale, uh, recently retired, off to play golf and do whatever, but still being interviewed and still talking about the game. He had this to say about his time in Major League Soccer. With Messi going to, to the MLS, what was your experiences out there? What could he expect? Did he enjoy it? Yeah, no, it, it's good. It's a lot more um, chilled. Like, if you lose at Madrid, it's like the world's ended. You crucified, you, you feel down, you go home, you're not happy. As where they, they kind of accept losing a bit more. And I think there's no consequence to, you can't get relegated, you can't, yeah. you just lose a game, you go to the next one. They kind of accept losing a lot better over there and they know how to lose, but they also, every win, they celebrate like you've won a championship. So um, mm. I, you'll, you'll definitely enjoy it. This is, this is a really interesting clip here because it, it's being taken by those that want to um, extol the virtues of promotion relegation and used as an example as to why the U.S. quote unquote system structure is wrong. And yet when you actually listen to him and what he is saying, I think it's much more about the pressure of playing at Real Madrid. And in a certain way, if you listen to it, he's almost saying that there is much more perspective, if you will, in terms of losing. I will say this when it comes to relegation. When was the last time that Gareth Bale um, actually played under the fear of relegation? Uh, this is an incredible player who, through his entire career, has never actually been in that position where he is playing with the threat. And even had he been, this is Gareth Bale. And so had a team that he was on gone down, he would have had plenty of opportunities because he is a great, great player. And so bringing this out and throwing this in the faces of people that like MLS, whether, whether they like promotion relegation or not, I, I think that you're cherry picking when it comes uh, to this clip. But it's also interesting to hear him talk about the mentality that, that, uh, that exists over here. It's not that there are not consequences. As a matter of fact, if your team sucks, yes, you don't have relegation. But if your team sucks and you suck, you lose your job. You don't have a job going, uh, going forward. Uh, I think it is, and I don't think he was necessarily insinuating, but there are those that would insinuate that players that play in a league that doesn't have relegation, just by the mere fact that it doesn't, are, are somehow more accepting of losing or don't try as hard. I think that's disrespectful. And I've found that it is not the case. And again, I have lived relegation. I have lived the fear of relegation. I have seen the power uh, and the excitement and the intention and the theater that comes with relegation. And I get it. I don't need it to enjoy my, uh, to enjoy my soccer. But to insinuate that players don't try as hard because there is no relegation. I have just found in my time that that's just, that's just not the case. And Gareth Bale spent, what, 14 games in Major League Soccer without ever coming close to the fear of being 
well, relegated, he wouldn't because he's in, he was playing in MLS. But he won the championship. Everything that he touched turned to gold, including scoring the winning goal. So if he is taking a shot at MLS because it doesn't have relegation, he was nowhere near being in danger of failing relative to relegation because they don't, uh, they don't have that. And his entire career, he has never had to worry about it. Yes, he has played in leagues, but just because you play in a league that has promotion relegation, just because you play in a league where there is the quote unquote threat of relegation, doesn't mean that it affects you, especially when you are playing for Real Madrid, especially when you are playing for, uh, for, uh, for Spurs, especially when you are a recognized world star. So uh, I think it's a little rich if that's what he meant. But I also know, and in actually listening to it as opposed to just reading the words, I think ultimately was what he was saying behind it, if you pull back a little bit of the layer, is that he actually appreciates the perspective that many players have in terms of the realities of winning and losing. And I choose to think that that's ultimately what, uh, the, what he was saying as opposed to taking a shot at MLS. It is a catch-22 for MLS because even Messi, in the interviews he gave to the Barcelona media the day he announced he was coming to Inter-Miami, he did cite as one of the reasons being ready for less pressure in his career. So something that MLS can use as an enticement to bring these players here, when the players start speaking about it openly, then MLS gets hit over the head with it. So I don't know. How do you reconcile that? It's... It's a good point, and I heard someone to say that uh, say that perception is reality. And if the perception is that players don't take it seriously, if the perception is that it's not as competitive because there isn't uh, relegation, then that is whether it's true or not. It's still a problem for for Major League Soccer. But to your point, you can also flip it around and say, hey, maybe this is an attraction that you can bring players in and. You know, listen, Messi is going to be under plenty of pressure. Uh, it's going to be a very different type of pressure. And as we said before, it's not as if he's just going to walk to the supermarket and nobody's going to care. Uh, he is going to be under pressure. Uh, and if and when uh, things don't go right, okay, yes, he will not have the threat of relegation. And lucky for him, because he's playing for Miami right now. But this is also about who he is. This is also part of his legacy. This is also part of how we are going to frame Messi from an American perspective. Maybe not all over the world, but certainly from an American perspective going, going forward. And if and when he's not good on the field and or his team is not good, yes, it's going to reflect on Miami, but it's also going to reflect on Messi. But he should be okay because he doesn't have to worry about relegation. Anything else, my friend? That is it. All right. We've had a, a wonderful week. I hope you've enjoyed everything. I do uh, need to go sit down. You, uh, yes, exactly. I, listen, welcome to my world, my friend. Welcome to my world. Uh, we've had a wonderful time. Again, this new set that we have, you will see it as we go forward, giving you more State of the Union podcasts. Uh, if you are watching, if you're listening, yeah, you'll, you'll hear it. But we've opened it up. It gives us all sorts of opportunities. The men and women that have put this together are absolutely incredible. Like I said, they make us look good, which is not an easy thing to do. And we are really, really excited about all of the content that we're going to produce. If you didn't hear the interview with Jen Cooper uh, that was in your feed uh, earlier this week, definitely check that out because she's an incredible wealth of knowledge when it comes to the, uh, the U.S. Women's National Team and the World Cup in general uh, that, as I said, is 
28 days, whenever you're listening to it, 28 days uh, days away. So it's going to be fun. We can't wait, and we will continue to crank out the content. We will talk to you again uh, later on. Uh, well, not later on. We'll talk to you again next week, and we'll be probably at the desk at that point. Mossy's cramp will have been uh, will have been rubbed out, and uh, we will get him some. We'll, we'll get him some makeup and maybe some uh, some other pants going forward. And do let us know if you think that from an attire perspective, we should try something, either him or me. This is what we're going with right now, but we can evolve, we can change, and we want you to have a, a say when it comes to ultimately what we talk about and maybe even what we look like. All right, until then, and as always, my friends, size the day.